Warning, this show contains strong language and scenes of a queer nature. Yes! Hey, I'm Josh, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Art of Being Queer podcast. Here's a snippet of what's to come. Blue and pink ropes represent gender roles, and I was kind of torn in between them, being pulled apart. There was a lot I was not telling the world and not owning and feeling proud of. I didn't want to feel like I was being forced to be a cis woman anymore by myself and by society because I wasn't being honest about it. Keep in mind, I come from a military family, live in a very small rural town that's very conservative. So I would basically like wait until everyone went to sleep and then I would put makeup on in the mirror and just like look at myself and be like, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I see that the woman deep inside myself. We started doing these, these small videos. We actually set her driveway on fire. It kind of walks through this really dystopian and dramatic uh, medical experiment. I was so exhausted of living in the wrong body and having to live a life that wasn't mine. Before we get started, you might want to head over to theartofbeingqueer.com to follow along with the art that we'll be discussing. So now let's meet the guest of today's episode, AJ Nichols. Hey AJ, would you like to give an introduction? Of course. Um, so not, my name is AJ uh, Nichols, um, but I go by AJ of AGX online, and I am a designer and performance artist out of Boston, Massachusetts. And um, I am really excited to be doing this podcast today with you, Josh, and because you've been a friend of mine for almost almost a year now, I'd say, and really helped me in my art and supporting me. So, Well, I'm really glad I could have helped. So when you first got in touch, it was about AGX, which is a clothing brand, but you also sent across some short films that you used for the marketing material. We actually used these in our first exhibition. I think we used Acid Rain, but I don't think this is the first in the collection, is it? That's right, yeah. You used Acid Rain, and then I think you used um, a newer one for the second the second exhibition, or maybe I'm mistaking that. So we've only done one date of the exhibition so far, but we will be using your newer videos in the future dates. Oh, okay. I got you. So do you want to tell me a little bit about AGX and how it started? Of course. Um, so about two years ago now, two years ago next month, I, I was at a place in my own personal career where uh, I had a lot of interest in designing clothes. Um, I had been working, doing a couple internships with designers. I did a costume design internship at the end of my high school career. And then I went on to working with Natalia Jmag from Project Runway Season 15. I also was taking a fashion construction class in college and was really learning how to make my own patterns and sew for standardized sizes. And I, I really wanted to start making like clothes for like queer people to make queer people feel good about themselves and you know uh to feel like to have a brand that speaks to us and speaks for us uh in a very empowering and um you know powerful way so i started working on some designs for my first collection and uh i had a lot of friends who queer and ally were really interested in supporting this kind of vision that I had. So I actually had several friends model for my first collection, which was called Genesis. And this was a collection that was all about a really first look at like a geometric kind of futuristic vision. As a summer, spring, summer collection, it was very neon 
um, and I had these like buckle up crop tops. Um, I had an open jacket that I was really proud of and um, my brother who runs uh, Shadow Pines Photography did uh, like a little filmed video like a like a demo of the collection if you will. So from there um, I sold some pieces and I was like, oh, okay, people like think this could be a thing. <laughs> and um, I started getting more excited about doing even more with the clothing. But also I wanted to start bringing in some storytelling because I felt like it wasn't just enough to have unisex clothing. I felt it would be really powerful to use my voice to kind of tell the story of the brand and why the clothing is important. And also as an artistic like narrative. So I started working with my, my best friend, Bria Hazelton, who at the time had been, you know, helping me creatively back behind the scenes with some ideas. And um, we started working on the new collection called Urban Fire, which was all about uh, like igniting the spark of a revolution towards, um, you know, advocating fearlessly for queer the queer community and we started doing these small videos where we kind of talked about the brand and uh you know different experiences of ourselves as trans people um and our transitions but keep in mind at this point she hadn't transitioned yet and I was stealth. So it was very surface level, like queer experiences and, you know, basically just wanting to feel good about ourselves with the clothing and the art. And Urban Fire was one of my favorite videos that I've ever filmed um, because I made a custom gown for her with some of my roommates. And then we actually set her driveway on fire and filmed this really cool performance art video um, where she was dancing and uh, like lighting things on fire. <laughs> and um, it was a really powerful like image to show for how I felt about, you know, finally wanting to be proud of being a queer person and moving towards that place where I was comfortable and proud of talking about my story again. Um, because for the first two years of college, no one knew I was trans except um, people who were very close to me. And then uh, that started to take off as well. People really enjoyed hearing the story and having that kind of narrative go with the imagery. And from there, I. I started going a little bit further in terms of what I wanted to talk about and I wanted to get more specific about queer experiences that I struggled with and that Bria struggled with and all of my friends. That fall, sorry, that winter, no, that February, uh, I started the uh, AGX narrative series, which was basically an official statement about um, starting this, you know, ongoing narrative of videos and clothing collections that all had themes and would all talk about different aspects of queer life and have these very powerful like videos uh, with with artistic imagery to represent them. So I started off by doing The Unknown and Nightmare, which was um, a custom shoot done with my brother. And um, I had this uh, racer jacket, I called it, which was a very militaristic uh, purple denim kind of jacket that I made. And it made me feel like I was like a military captain of like a queer army. And that's my vision for AGX was to like feel like I, you know, can really help people and guide people um, by using my voice and my story. So uh, I took, we did that really cool shoot. Uh, I filmed the video talking about um, 
being haunted by fears and memories and different like traumatic things that had happened leading up to my transition and during it and trying to like reclaim like um, a sense of empowerment and like ownership over my confidence after those things had happened. So, and then we moved into dysphoria, which was a really fun video that I did with Bria. Uh, this is a video that was started at the very beginning of her transition last year when she was finally out as transgender and starting to take hormone replacement therapy, but still really struggling with dysphoria. So we made this video where she kind of played the illness as a like, as a personified like character where she had this like ripped dress and she looked um, exhausted and had like red streaks down her face. And then I worked with my friend Anshal and then my other friend May Perez, who basically helped, you know, create imagery and like a, like a social media campaign um, behind dysphoria. And then Bria told her story about how all of her struggles had kind of led, like bled into her transition from getting kicked down the stairs or sorry, pushed down the stairs of my high school for being gay to isolating herself and then starting to experiment with makeup, which led to her discovering her gender identity. So dysphoria was a really kind of key piece in her journey and also like a really great statement that we made because not much is really said about dysphoria because it's a kind of scary and taboo topic. From there, I was really interested in starting to make some statements about gender roles because I was kind of experiencing power dynamics and gender-based oppression for the first time as a young woman. And uh, I really wanted to take a stance about, like, take a stance about it. At the same time, I was stealth and um, I felt constricted in my own self-esteem because there was a lot I was not telling the world and not owning and feeling proud of. And for me, if I don't process things on the ex on the outside, then they can kind of eat away at me until I collapse. So I was starting to get to a place where I wanted to be out again uh, as a trans advocate. And um, I didn't want to feel like I was being forced to be a cis woman anymore by myself and by society because I wasn't being honest about it. So I filmed this video called Acid Rain with Bria and also several other models who were my friends on campus. And um, this is actually one of the videos you used in the first exhibition, but um, it was all about like having blue and purple, blue and pink ropes represent gender roles. And I was kind of torn in between them being pulled apart. And um, you know, that's exactly how I was feeling because I had this this blue, if you will, origin story that no one knew. But then I was also being pulled very far to the feminine side by, um, you know, just like how I was living in society and my interactions and relationships. So I felt very like pulled apart and I felt like this deep struggle, like going all the way back to when I like first knew I was transgender of, you know, I, I, I transitioned and I'm living the way I want to be and I'm showing the world who I am. But at the same time, I'm not able to talk about it or I'm not proud of talking about it. You know what I mean? So it's like, I feel like the world doesn't know who I am because this, you know, my struggle is part of my story. So that was kind of a very vulnerable moment 
uh, in the AGX narrative series. I feel like the the messaging behind it was really powerful, um, and a lot of people said that the analogy or and the um, the kind of visual metaphor of gender roles as ropes was very enlightening. When we played it at the exhibition, we had really positive feedback about it. And I think the film's really effective visually depicting the topics that you wanted to discuss. We'll play a short clip from the video now. When we are born, our hands are tied with colored ropes. The ropes don't bother most people. Some people don't even know that they're there. But me? I fought the ropes. Torn between two worlds, I wanted to be free. But society tied my ropes to show me the limits of my gender expression. When I went too far, people would make comments and the ropes would pull me back. At the same time, dysphoria was ripping my body apart. But I didn't Your videos really remind me of Lady Gaga's in a way. Kind of reminds me of Married the Night. You know how it's got the narration over the beginning of the video. Yes, definitely. Thank you. I Every time you make like a Gaga reference to my work, it like... It makes me so happy because I'm literally sitting in front of all of my CDs of her. <laughs> I just, I just worship her so much. But yeah, so Acid Rain, I just, I felt really good about it. And I also, that was the official first time I was launching like a, a unisex collection with like both ready to wear bottoms and tops in several different colors. And actually, I kind of experienced being a business for a little bit. I sold a couple, like actually quite a few pieces in addition to um, printed shirts with like, let the acid rain fall, um, which was a quote from the video. And um, at this time, you you were actually helping promote my video and all, all of the media that I was putting out. And then I ended up getting connected with uh, Camden Ador from FTM Magazine. <laughs> And Acid Rain ended up getting photographed by and published in FTM magazine that summer, which was like, it was such a huge accomplishment. And I really credit that to you. It's always nice when people connect through the art of being queer. So Camden is episode two of the first season. So if you haven't listened to that one already, you should go and check that out after this episode. Yeah. No, that was, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And Camden is a great artist and I was really glad that I was able to partner with him. And then let's see, Acid Rain. And then I came to this place in my journey where I was like, I can't hide anymore. I, it's really hard to stand behind a queer clothing brand if I'm not talking about my story. So in August, I released a video called The Experiment, which was basically me coming out as trans for the first time since the spring of 2017 when I had first like transitioned. So this is also one of my favorite performance art pieces because it has multiple scenes. The first being me in like a, like a bathtub uh, with the AGX symbol painted on my face. And I'm kind of narrating a little bit, which is the first time I've had like actual narration in the video instead of just a voiceover. So I thought it'd be really interesting to have um, kind of someone telling the story from in it. And then it kind of walks through this really dystopian and dramatic 
uh, medical experiment where I'm trying to transition myself to be stronger than humans. So like a transhuman story, but it's at the same time, it's paralleling all of my memories of my first transition from male to female. And it goes into like, you know, eating shards of glass or shards of a mirror to represent, you know, that I kind of am accepting, you know, that I wasn't able to see myself for so long. And then um, I go into this whole like lab setup where I'm like wired in and I have the this crazy like LED light strip that kind of symbolizes like that electric like final moment. And I don't know if you caught this, but in the in that kind of climactic moment, I have the clip from Gaga's Born This Way ball tour from 2012 where she uh, broke her hip and she screams and it's kind of like this really crazy moment of change in her life because it it changed her career you know she was down for a year and then she changed directions completely and you know it helped her find her independence with art pop but I was like I felt so inspired to use that clip because of that how powerful that moment was of change in her life and how I felt like I was finally taking that step into my own hands of, you know, talking about my journey and being proud of being trans for the first time in a, since ever, you know, because um, I had only been hiding before and just trying to like pray that no one found out. And that was a really powerful, really powerful video for me. And people were very, you know, very accepting. A lot of people already knew who were from my hometown, but uh, everyone here in Boston and in college had no idea <laughs> that I was trans, which was an interesting, you know, journey. And, but then I also, I never looked back. You know, I felt very proud to tell my story. And a lot of people learned a lot because of, you know, my vulnerability. And um, I just kept working forward. And then I started to have conversations with Bria about, you know, starting to move into a theme of like empowerment, because I feel like a lot of those vulnerable queer issues had been tackled, like dysphoria, like memories and like trauma and like bullying, you know, gender roles, everything. So I started to kind of create this character to lead the next kind of book of AGX, if you will. And uh, I wanted to create this AJ of AGX character that was a little bit like superhuman, um, a little robotic, but like had done that through the experiment to, um, you know, show that she can become stronger and uh, that she wasn't weak to those human like emotions anymore and like the things that I had really struggled with. So, and then I kind of put out Anthem with um, several of my friends helping me. And uh, that was a whole nother experience. It was also a very, very hard time when I was filming that because I had, I was ending my two year relationship and I felt very broken <laughs> as, a, as a person because I didn't know who I was anymore. And Anthem kind of gave me something to cling on to and feel powerful. I did this full metal suit from head to toe um, where I had these like crazy kind of fame ball era glasses. And then I had mirrors on my shoulders um, and then a metal top and metal knee pads and things like that. And um, I really wanted to show that I was, I could protect myself and that I can, you know, be stronger than I thought I could ever be before. And I, this, this is also a time when I realized that it was getting hard for me to try to run Ajax as a business. So just because of like my limitations of 
being in college and I can't make and sew clothes all day every day to be able to sell them. So it kind of became another portfolio collection where I made a collection that went with the video and which was worn by all the models, but um, it wasn't actually sold, but it was uh, definitely used for me as a designer and like my own, my own career and journey. So yeah, that's kind of where AJX is now is um, it's become a creative, I, I'm trying to turn it into kind of like a creative platform and showcase other artists. And then hopefully someday I'm, well, right now I'm just going to be doing solo work because uh, I don't have the resources to run it as a business, but um, I'm hoping to pick up that narrative again someday when I am able to really like take a stand and get the clothes out there and, you know, continue that, that narrative. So I think we've actually been through all the videos that you created for the collections, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes. Anthem was the last, the last piece that I put out. And then I kind of embarked on my solo journey as AJ of AGX, you know, trying to tell my own story for a little bit in a way where I don't have to work with a ton of models, you know, make collections and try to sell them. I can just really focus on like the performance art and like the design aspects and also focus even more on the performance art piece without having to worry about the business piece, if that makes sense. And I'm actually working on a piece that should come out in a couple weeks, which is the first piece I've put out since first week of December. And it, this is all about the uh, really dark time in between, like right after I put out Anthem, when I had lost the relationship and I was on my own for a while and I had kind of like a breakdown <laughs> for about six weeks and a lot happened where I felt very isolated. Um, I felt like I was like screaming into the void, you know, I felt like I couldn't stand on my own feet anymore. Um, I was sexually assaulted. There was a lot of things that happened where I felt like I was putting myself in dangerous situations, but also getting taken advantage of because of my like, my light and my warmth, I guess. So super, this is, this new video is going to be called Supernova. And it talks about, you know, kind of like a performance art narrative about what happened and like that I felt powerful because I was, you know, getting attention, but also at the same time, I was so like such in a dangerous situation that um, I like almost lost everything. So December is really when everything happened like that. Um, and it, there was a lot of other stuff too, like health wise. I was on some anxiety medication that was causing an easy eating disorder. <clears throat> so I had, I'd stopped eating for about three months, ended up having like emergency throat surgery because I had no immune system and I had like abscesses growing in my throat. I was spending hundreds, if not, you know, maybe at least a thousand dollars on just things to like, you know, have in my life that I didn't need because I felt like I had nothing else to hold on to. I didn't, I had lost that. Like, you know, I had, I had let go of a relationship that I counted on for like that support, <laughs> like that and that vulnerability. So it was, it wasn't a good time, but it was all between the end of November and the holidays. And then I really got into some therapy, got my eating back on track and I feel <laughs> a lot better now. <laughs> Well, I'm really glad that you're feeling better now. And I think sometimes when you're feeling like that, it helps to carry on being creative. I feel like that's such a huge part of me too that I can relate to you on is I feel like 
I process things that I struggle with through art. I feel like that's how I get it out of my system and kind of process it in a way that I can show it to the world, but also hope that it can help people learn from what I went through. So that's how I've been processing things. You do a lot of activism work as well. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So recently, as of last August, I came back out as trans, like I said. And since then, I've been doing some media and press about my work with the Trans Youth Equality Foundation, which is a an organization based out of New England here where um, there are camps run for trans kids and we get together every few months and do a lot of support groups with the kids. These are kids from, you know, as young as like five or six, all the way up into 17, 18, which is when I started going. And it, it's really a, it's a really valuable way to help kids who are really struggling. And um, when I was in that position, I was from a town of 5,000 5, people. There were no medical providers who uh, at the time knew anything about transition transitioning or what I would need to do. I knew maybe like one or two other people who were trans, but no one who had medically transitioned in my town. So that's just like a look at how isolated it was. But then through my therapist, I got connected with TYEF and went to this camp and I met like 20 to 30 other trans kids my age who were at all stages of medical transition or not even medically transitioning at all. And, um, I made friends. It, it honestly really helped save my life because it gave me hope. Since then, I went back two more times, uh, once as another as a as a camper before I aged out. And then um, the last time I was a uh, camp counselor, they asked me to come back and actually work with some of the kids and, you know, be that like kind of big sister to them, especially to younger girls who went through a lot of the same things I did, but are kind of looking up to me now as someone who can like help guide them and, you know, answer questions and make them feel good. So I worked with a show on Barstool Sports and talked about my story as a trans advocate. And we created a GoFundMe recently for TYF and raised, oh, I think about $600, which was really impressive. That sends about, that probably sends around two to three kids to camp on scholarship, which is really, really important impactful because some kids come from backgrounds where they don't have resources and they can't afford to go to camp. And a lot of times camp like this can become a life-saving opportunity. Not only do you get to meet other trans kids and like do the support groups and feel like you have connections, but a lot of times TYF and, uh, you know, Susan and like all the, the, um, the staff, they actually just keep working with you beyond the camp and help connect you with resources and doctors and, you know, things like that. So it was really, really important for me to continue talking about that and getting the awareness spread about the fact that we are, you know, trans people are just people, but we do need some help. And we're still at a very vulnerable place and targeted place in society. So from the Barstool Sports Show, which was the Kirk Minahan show, I went on um, Goodnight TV with John Featherston. I did the Young Jerks podcast, and I just kept talking about trans-related topics. Another one that I've like another topic that I've been talking a lot about has been like the trans sports debate, um, which has been kind of a hot button topic recently. You know, whether it's fair for trans people to compete in sports due to like physical advantages or disadvantages. And I shared my story of, you know, I was so scared to 
I was already being bullied as gay when I was playing sports in high school. So by the time that I uh, needed to transition, um, I completely removed myself from the sports program because for a lot of reasons being, I would have gotten way more bullied <laughs> and not even just by kids. I would have gotten, there would have been parents, you know, protesting me playing on the women's team. You know, I would have had to go in front of like the main principals association or something like that and make a case probably for why I should play on the women's team and all this stuff. And also I, I couldn't deal with locker rooms. I hated changing, you know, I'm five, four. There's no physical advantage really. Um, for me, like in sports, I was like always at a disadvantage because of my height. So it's like, I think it's kind of crazy that, um, the fear is that I'm going to go in and like beat all the women. <laughs> so I just completely avoided that. And I feel like with this argument, people aren't like trans people aren't given enough credit for how brave they are to actually want to play sports. And also, you know, before I transitioned, that was my entire friend group, you know, so it became like a huge source of like social connection and also like being able to like work on a team and, you know, set goals for myself and practice. And like, it was such a huge part of my life before I transitioned that I feel like it, it can be like a safe haven for kids, especially if like the bullying and that stuff kind of goes out. So I've, so I've advocated a lot about how I feel about that and that, you know, I feel like it still is very debatable about like the physical aspect, but at least with the existence of co-ed teams these days, it's really important that trans people be included. I think that's, that's pretty much it for advocacy. <laughs> So one of the big parts of your activism is sharing your story. So do you want to talk a little bit about your transition? Of course. So I was not one of the kids who knew the second they hit the floor after being born that they were um, a girl inside. For me, my transition started quite a bit later when I was uh, 16 going on 17, I believe. I had known pretty early on that I like my sexual orientation, but I didn't really kind of confirm that until I was 15 when I was like, oh, I don't need to like girls because society tells me that I have to. I can actually acknowledge these feelings I'm having for men and, you know, be a gay person. So I came out as gay when I was 15 and I was like, great, I figured it out. <laughs> But um, little did I know that all of these, you know, through my male puberty, all of these body image issues and gender dysphoria and all these things started creeping in and causing a lot of anxiety and depression that I really didn't understand. And the further I got into high school, I was really starting to try to hide my my who I was from everyone because I felt like I wasn't showing them the real me. I was very bulky before I transitioned and with all of that muscle growth in my chest and arms, I felt like I needed to cover up constantly and I would wear, you know, sweatshirts and jackets every day um, to school, even like if it was hot outside because I was so uncomfortable with people seeing me as muscular. I developed a really bad stutter because my voice had gotten really deep and um, I stopped wanting to talk to people. I also, you know, I just, I, I started not wanting to see pictures of myself. I just 
I started really hating, you know, even looking at myself in the mirror because I just felt like I wasn't seeing or feeling that person that I was supposed to be. And about this time, my best friend, Bria, who at the time was um, a drag queen, she hadn't transitioned yet either. She introduced me to Drag Race and, um, or she introduced me to makeup. And uh, after watching Drag Race a lot, I, you know, it was like, oh, there's a way where I can feminize myself and that'll make me feel better about who I am. So I started, you know, you know, keep in mind, I come from a military family, live in a very small rural town that's very conservative. Um, so I would basically like wait until everyone went to sleep and then I would put makeup on in the mirror and just like look at myself and be like, yes, <laughs> I see the person I'm supposed to be. You know, I see that, that woman deep inside myself. And I did that for a few months. And then this was getting into summer 2015 when Caitlyn Jenner came out and um, was one of the, you know, was very, very public about uh, her transition. And I was like glued to the TV, like watching every interview, like really, really interested in like learning about how she transitioned. And at that point I still hadn't, you know, really grasped that that was gonna be my story. Um, I just kind of really identified with it in a way that I couldn't explain. I had also been doing a lot of, you know, uh, YouTube, like watching about like, you know, Gigi Gorgeous and Amanda Lepore and these people who had transitioned um, and talked about it online. You know, I kind of came to a place where I was like, this, I, I'm not gonna live, I like, I don't know if I can live and be happy unless I am a woman. So I kind of got to that place where I knew what I needed to do. And I just kept educating myself, still living a double life, you know, going to school as what everyone thought was a straight male and then going home and watching YouTube videos every night about people's transition timelines and um, putting lipstick on and like crying in the mirror. <laughs> you know, the reason that I was able to find myself was because someone else was talking about their journey and being vulnerable. So I, I did rely on YouTube a lot in the, the beginning of my transition to figure out what I needed to do and what it would look like and, you know, get that hope that I needed from someone who had gone through it. And then I went to my parents and was like, uh, I'm not a boy inside. And um, they were pretty stunned. They they knew I was gay at that point, but they were pretty floored because, you know, I feel like there was a perception at that point that because I didn't come to them at like two or three, you know, wearing my mom's clothes and heels or whatever, that I wasn't trans. And um, they were, they were pretty surprised. So I, but they agreed to get me into counseling and um, I started working towards like the start of my medical transition. But a lot of the, the guidance and things weren't very informed where I was. So I was originally told I had to do like a, like a year of counseling before I would start my medical transition, which now is not in place in progressive systems because, uh, you know, if you're a patient with, you know, congestive heart failure, you're not going to go to therapy and talk about it. You're going to go do something about it because it's like a medical issue affecting you like a lot. <laughs> so I had a really, really hard year 2016 because I was just in, I was in therapy. Um, I was continuing to get progressively more and more dysphoric as my body continued to go through male puberty. And um, at that point, I was starting to like lose some hope and feel like I, you know, 
like there wasn't like if I couldn't get on hormones that like I didn't even want to continue living that double life anymore. You know, I just didn't see a point at this was a time when I was applying for colleges and college touring and I would just like sit <laughs> I would sometimes sit in like the hotels before we saw college and I would just like cry and just, you know, not want to leave the room because I felt so uncomfortable in my own body and I was like if I can't <laughs> if I can't be happy like living day to day, how am I supposed to, you know, feel good about like planning for a future that I don't know if I'm going to have yet. I also started like really trying to self-sabotage my body with uh, binge eating and um, I gained like 30, 40 pounds really in a, in a couple of months to the point where people were starting to notice and, you know, like some of my best friends who didn't know what I was going through, like kind of saw it as a where they saw it as a cry for help and still didn't know what was going on. And I got to the place where I basically was telling my parents that I was having dreams about hurting myself every night, that um, I was having suicidal ideation. I didn't, I didn't want to live unless I could be a woman because it, I, had, I was so exhausted of living in the wrong body and having to live a life that wasn't mine. So it was a very dark time. But that's the time that I got connected with TYEF and met a bunch of trans kids. And, um, you know, that was a really, really big step for me because I was able to get hope and see these kids who had made it and were transitioning and living their lives. And, you know, they were exactly who they should be. And um, TYEF got me connected with my first um, endocrinologist. And then a couple months later, I was able to start hormone replacement therapy. And um, this was a huge step for me because I finally was able to feel like I was living in my own body, which hadn't changed externally yet, but I, at least I had that validation of the estrogen um, making me feel like I could continue living. <laughs> um, as dramatic as that sounds, but um, it really saved my life in all honesty. And then I started going through the process of getting my name legally changed months before I actually came out. Um, my parents at this point were like, they saw how, you know, how much the estrogen had changed my life in just a couple of weeks in terms of like how I felt and um, how it was like it saved my mental health and like my physical health and things like that. And, you know, just because I wanted to live again. <laughs> so they became huge advocates which not saying that they weren't supportive before, they just were still like really learning um, and trying to figure out how to support me because they were pretty scared for my safety and also like my health. So um, we started getting like the school prepared because I was in my senior year of high school and my plan was to, to come out as trans a couple months before I graduated. So I could avoid a lot of bullying and things like that and I could just come out and then graduate and leave and then start college like six months later as a woman. Um, so uh, around uh, March of 2017, I had been on estrogen for about four months and had experienced some like physical changes uh, enough to kind of have people understand that there was something really big going on with me. And um, I came out and uh, I was, I believe, the first person in my town to medically transition. At this point, I was still in a very public, uh, you know, people really knew who I was in this, this small town. And I was like student body president. And suddenly 
you know, everyone's trying to figure out what bathroom I'm going to use. <laughs> you know, I have people, I, I have my close friends who are really super, you know, supportive and knew what was going on and were there for me. Um, but I also, ha and I had the staff as well, who was trained by TYF and also kind of there to mitigate any issues that happened. But a lot of people were really, really shocked. And, um, um, most people hadn't met a trans person before, or at least someone who, not even someone who had like medically transitioned even. And, uh, I did experience quite a bit of bullying where, uh, I ended up just using the staff bathroom, <laughs> which is like lock and key single stall. So I didn't have to deal with being in the boys' bathroom or the girls' bathroom. I was a lot of times eating my lunches in classrooms alone because I didn't want to, you know, be a spectacle and like walk through a lunchroom and get like gawked at or like talked about, you know, but that kind of died down by the time I graduated. And I had at that point started working my first job as a trans woman. And uh, as surprisingly as it was, the people who I was working for didn't know I was trans at that point, which was pretty shocking to me. But um, it was like that first kind of dose of being of being treated as a woman, <laughs> like a woman, like not even just a trans woman. So from there, I moved to college and um, I had this big plan of starting as like having a fresh start. <laughs> um, I started at Northeastern almost three years ago now with no one knowing that I was trans. I think like the only person who could know was like someone in like the administrator's office who had seen like my name change within my email or something. But um, it was basically like I wanted to have that clean start and experience living as a woman for the first time. But, uh, you know, my thirsty ass um, who, you know, focused on transitioning in school instead of um, dating in high school, I uh, really wanted to have a relationship. So the first thing I did when I got here was jumped on dating apps. <laughs> and at this point, I was basically not telling people. I would go on like first dates in public with people so I could get to know them. Um, but I wasn't like talking about being trans. And uh, I, I met my first boyfriend and um, told him I was trans after our first date. And uh, he was like open-minded and accepting of it. And um, we started dating and um, yeah, he was a great support because at that point I didn't know if I was capable of being loved, you know, in the way that I wanted to because of being trans. And I was so deeply ashamed and insecure about, um, you know, not having the right parts and like not having fully transitioned yet. But him loving me honestly gave me like a lot of confidence because it kind of validated in my mind that not only can I be this person who I know I am inside, but also that I'm lovable as well. So that I might like my self-esteem kind of grew that way. And then last two summers ago now, yes, two summers ago now, I had my first surgery. Um, I had an orchiect a bilateral orchiectomy so that I could get off of a lot of like medication that was causing some health problems like my testosterone blocker was um, basically giving me low blood pressure and I'd get dehydrated and pass out <laughs> sometimes. So um, I also, you know, I also just like there's a waiting list still for, you know, the trans surgery, like the full vaginoplasty. So it felt like a step I could take in the in the short term 
that made me feel a lot better about myself and also, you know, feel better about intimacy and things like that. Um, but my dad was actually pretty concerned. He was like, why would you take double the risk? And why would you, um, you know, do this two separate times? And I was basically like, I need to get off medication. I'll feel better about my body. Um, I'll be able to wear clothes and feel more comfortable. You know, all of these things that, you know, could improve in the short term before I was able to get the full vaginal posse. And he, I had his support and my whole family was there and my boyfriend at the time all supported me through that first surgery. And then um, at my transition now, I've been living, it'll be three years in March since I came out as trans and it'll be three and a half years, almost four years since I've been like medically transitioning and I'll have my full vaginoplasty in May, which I'm very excited about. Um, I've had to do a lot of like preparation now, like laser hair removal and, um, you know, getting consultations and letters from mental, mental health providers and all this stuff. So, um, all the, you know, all the cards are on the table now, but, um, I'm just kind of waiting for this final step, which will, you know, make me feel like I'm completely at home in my body. Would you have any advice for people at an earlier stage in their transition? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say, you know, use your resources on like the internet is an amazing resource. If you know where to look, you know, I, I watched people like Steph Sinyati, um, who had literally month by month transition timelines, um, and like filmed like surgery recoveries, which were a lot of videos I ended up showing to my parents, um, to help them understand back when I was just starting out, definitely get a counselor. I feel like everyone needs someone outside of, uh, you know, family and, um, immediate like friends to be able to talk about things objectively um, and get uh, help you need. You can always reach out to Trans Youth Equality Foundation or check out their resources online. They run camps here in America where you can come and do support groups and you know get connected with resources that way. But uh, definitely like build a support network and use resources. Like those are my biggest pieces of advice because you're not alone. And no matter what your, your family life or your background is, you know, people will be willing to help you and you can be successful and, you know, happy through a transition. So uh, check out TYF. And if you are someone in a position of, you know, being able to donate or wanting to donate, um, they're always taking like every dollar helps for them um, and helping kids. So besides that, uh, you can check me out at AJ of AJX on Twitter with the underscores between those um, and then AJ.of.AJX at Instagram um, and then AJX official and everything else. So thank you for letting me tell my story and um, it was good catching up with you again. So that takes us to the end of this episode of the Art of Being Queer podcast. I'd like to thank AJ for being an amazing guest. I'd like to thank our patrons, Damo Demi, Adam Heller, Alpha Wings and Laura Odom. If you'd like early access to future episodes and would like to support us on Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash the art of being queer. I'd like to thank Queen Toast for creating the instrumentals used in the background of this podcast. And I'd like to thank you for listening. See you next time.